0: everybody, I'm Gary Ebersole. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. Richard and I are hosting this week's episode without Randy, our fellow Codger. Randy and his wife Patty are traveling in Italy and seem to be having a wonderful time. Randy's trip to Europe did trigger a conversation Richard and I had about what travel was like when we were young adults. That was over 50 years ago when we first embarked on our own travel adventures without our parents. We decided to continue our travel then and now riff with you this week. But before we get started on a trip down memory lane, we have a report from our correspondent in Tuscany.
1: Buongiorno, codgers. This is Randy Schultz calling in from the great country of Italy, where I have been... On vacation for the last week or so with my lovely wife, Patty, we are having a great time. I just wanted to make sure that the other two Camp Codger hosts know that I've been thinking about you and I've been thinking about all of our listeners, and I want to just say one thing. If you get a chance to come to Italy, do it. It's phenomenal. Great place for a vacation. Most of the people speak enough English so that we can get by, those of us who speak pretty much only English. And it's a wonderful thing. And I've got a Codger moment to share with you. Uh, we are here with two other couples. And we hired a guide to take us on an e-bike tour, electric bikes, through the countryside of Tuscany. And my Codger moment is this. We went, I don't know, 15 or 20 kilometers. It was fabulous. We saw incredible sights. We rode past Vineyards, had lunch at a walled city, Certaldo, Alto. Uh, it was a great ride. But, six of us riding through Italy. During the course of the ride, two of us fell over. Yes, Codger moments happen worldwide. And we're fine. Nobody got hurt. But, it just goes to show you, when you get out there in the world, sometimes Codger moments happen. But it was totally worth it. We had a, had a great time on the, the bike ride, and we're having a great time uh, in different cities and countrysides. I miss you guys. I'm looking forward to coming back to the States and sharing more Codger moments. Thanks so much, and have a great day.
0: Randy, thanks for introducing our newest intro podcast segment we're calling Codgers on the Road. We're delighted to hear that you're having a grand time and happy to hear that your Codger bicycle moments were not serious. We'll see you you in a week or so. Richard, do you want to kick off our travel then and now discussion by telling us about your overseas trip as a student? When was that that and what was it like?
2: Thank you, Gary. It was 1972. I do remember as a graduate student heading to Germany for a four-month intensive language course. In my giant suitcase, I carried all the winter and summer clothing, but also more than a dozen books. I carried phrase books, dictionaries, maps, books I hoped to read over the course of the many months I'd be there. And of course, I carried Europe on $5 a day. There was no internet. There was no Kindle, so I couldn't carry books that way. There were no audiobooks, So to tote along all these books... I had to bring them in my suitcase. That's an extra 10, 15 pounds that I started out with before I started dragging it around Europe. Of course, there were also no iPhones or portable phones of any kind. No Google Maps, no Google period. Can't even remember how I got around or bought train tickets or train schedules or knew when to get on and get off. It was uh, Adventures Are Us. Gary, What about you and your travel adventures back in the day?
0: You know what's fascinating about what you just described? You described this big, heavy suitcase. But you remember, back in the early 70s, when you went to Europe, you didn't have wheelies. No, you're right. Suitcases didn't didn't have wheels. You didn't drag them through the airport. You picked them up and carried them. Or you had a porter, but we were... Students, I actually didn't get to Europe probably for another eight years. I was in my early 30s before I actually got to Europe. And that was a fascinating trip because, as you say, it's all new, and there's just no easy access. You really have to do serious research. How do you find a place to stay? How do you get from place A to place B. This was pre-Euro, so you had to plan on having, exchanging money in every country. It was quite fascinating that we got there, we survived, and we all got home. It wasn't the Wild West, right? Life was pretty easy when you think about it, but it did feel intimidating to set up a trip. You really had to work to do it. And You
2: also had to think on your feet all the time. It was uh, daunting, exciting, and challenging.
0: And the language issues were really different than they are today. We had some friends over for dinner last night, and they'd spent, I think, three weeks in Portugal. And what they found is that everybody under 30 spoke excellent English. So it was never really a communication problem. You just found somebody who looked young, and more than likely they'd speak English. Back in the the 70s, when I first went to France... You assumed you didn't find people all the time that could speak English. You had to struggle with your college French to be able to order a meal.
2: Oh, it was it was a desert for English in the seventies.
0: It really was. And it made it more exciting. It made did make it a big adventure. And it made us those of us who had the opportunity to take off a few weeks from work and to go do it feel a little bit unique. We're going to oh, Europe. Wow. Wasn't that cool?
2: That's another thing is in the 70s, not that many young people had been to Europe.
0: Well, because it was expensive. Remember, this is pre-airline deregulation. Airfares were expensive.
2: I don't remember that, but I remember once you got over there, things got cheap real fast.
0: Yeah, the $5 a day was cheap. If you didn't mind living on $5 a day.
2: Are you going to describe a room? Is that what you're about to do? Describe one of those hotel rooms? Oh,
0: no, please. actually, I had the good fortune, as I said, being a little bit older when I first went. And I, I was working, so I had some income. and And we rented an apartment in London. And that turned out to be really cool. But think about it. How the heck do you find an apartment in London in yeah. 1975? And the answer... The answer is I don't remember. <laughs> Today, Airbnb, VRBO, life is easy.
2: Let me bring up one other topic Europe or, or travel abroad. You know, what became my kind of temple in those countries was the American Express buildings. Oh, really? The offices of American Express where you got and sent mail, where you exchanged your member American Express check. Yeah. Traveler I carried checks. $500 in American Express checks from here to Europe. And that was the way I paid cash, a $20 American Express check. And that, would, <laughs> that would work for
0: almost a week. Four days. Uh, $5 yeah. a day, that should have worked for four <laughs> that's days. That's right.
2: That's right. It would last for four days. <laughs> that's good.
0: That's interesting about how we needed to have that touchstone there. Because oh. it turned out, making a phone call, for most of us, it was rather complicated once you were in Europe. It wasn't as easy as presenting a credit card because guess what? None of us had credit cards. We had traveler's checks. That's right. So you had to find some place where you could make a phone call, having somebody take care of handling it for you. And then it was as expensive as get out. I mean, they weren't cheap. They were, you know, dollars per minute. And a dollar oh, was in 1972 was worth a lot of money or it seemed like it was worth a lot of money. You could
2: not have a phone call for more than six or eight minutes.
0: It's interesting because the little clip that we played from Randy was a voicemail message that he left on the Camp Coucher <laughs> phone. He delivered the message, no doubt using his cell phone over local Wi-Fi, so it didn't cost him a nickel. Oh, okay. It was a free phone call, left a two or three minute message. It was easy peasy. Not a big deal.
2: The cell phone, or even the the iPhone, makes such a huge difference because there were moments in Europe, right, where no one in the world knew where where you were. Now, if you're lost or need a little help, just turn on your phone, get Google Maps, and you can find out where you are or where you have to go.
0: Better than that, you turn on your iPhone and let people follow you. And then everybody knows where you're at. That really made the difference. The difference in travel then and now is largely based upon the amount of information we had. Then it required us to research it, document it, find places to get the information. Today, it's the internet. It opens up travel for a lot of people who might be a little more intimidated by it.
2: But it takes away from the adventure.
0: It's simply not as adventurous, I agree. I mean, the same thing holds for travel in the U.S. When I think of travel in the U.S., In my mind, it's all about road trips. Back in the 70s, you didn't fly that much. Personal travel on airplanes was pretty unusual, so you drove. And we drove a lot. We used to take road trips from California back to Seattle. Road trips kind of defined travel in that era. It was defining, but it was different.
2: So how did you find a place to stay on your road trips?
0: We did a fair amount of camping. We did one trip around the U.S., where we basically circumnavigated the whole United States in 28 days. And it was mostly camping.
2: Meaning with a tent, right?
0: With a tent. You know, you're young. You're in your early 20s. You're having a road trip. You had no cell phone, right? You had no Google Maps. You had no way of finding out where the next gas station was. How did you even find out where the
2: campsite was? Was that on a map?
0: We look at a map. Remember those maps, those printed things? <laughs> Randy, this is for you. Printed maps. And I used to love my map collection. It was so oh, great to have maps.
2: I've still got it, but I was dead without a map. I was very insecure if I didn't have a map with me. Even if I was in a place for six or eight days or or four months, I wanted my map to guide me around. Yeah. Had to have
0: it. But maps were part of the fun part. That was the planning because you're planning an adventure. Our 28 day trip around the United States was largely an adventure. You know, we had this time to to spend. It was probably foolish. I wouldn't do it again today. I wouldn't want to put four people in a 1966 Mustang because that backseat (laughs) was really small and we ended up doing the mustang because my Volkswagen bus had formed a leak in its engine we couldn't drive more than 50 miles without having to put in a quart of oil <laughs> you did the math and you realize that's a lot of oil to be leaking a lot of oil. all around the US <laughs> our friend volunteered his mustang we all crawled in my first wife and myself, and a couple of guys we went to high school with, and we took off for 28 days. This is the footloose and fancy-free period of our lives. Oh, boy. But the travel experiences was so much different because you just think about things like your car. Our car didn't have air conditioning. Not a surprise. Most cars out of the 60s didn't have air conditioning. You didn't have cruise control except my friend hooked up this clever little device from J.C. Whitney catalog that gave us the first form of cruise control oh, in 1972. No. I used to use a brick on my Volkswagen bus as a cruise brick? control. A brick. Because <laughs> a, an early 60s Volkswagen microbus wasn't capable of going faster than 62 miles an hour. doesn't matter <laughs> how hard you pressed on the pedal. So we just set a brick on the pedal and that's cruise control. So how did you keep cool? You said there was no... You rolled condition. on the What'd windows. Do? Don't don't you remember that when you were kids?
2: Oh, I remember those ice machine things that you stuck in the window.
0: Oh, yeah, those coolers on the window.
2: And the air yeah. would blow through and, and melt oh, the no. ice and you get cool air for half an hour.
0: No, we just rolled on the windows or we drive <laughs> at night. We oh, used to do cool. a lot of night driving because it was so much cooler. It was memorable because it was an adventure. It was largely unplanned.
2: Oh, my. Sounds fabulous. What What is your biggest memory from that trip? P- like place memory?
0: I remember events more than I remember places. I remember putting up camp beside the road on a rural Georgia highway because we couldn't find a place to camp. And we were all getting paranoid with our long hair, our hippie-style hair. Oh, and being in, in Georgia in the early 70s in a rural environment, we had these deliverance-style ideas, even though that was pre-deliverance days, but this idea, oh, my God, we're hippies. It was Easy Rider revisited,
2: right?
0: (laughs) When you think about things like credit cards, we didn't have credit cards. Gas stations didn't take credit cards back then. You had to have a Shell card or a Chevron card or a Texaco card. So you'd drive into this little town looking for the Shell station. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. This town doesn't have a shell station. How much cash do you have?
2: Oh, God. You know, speaking of that, do you know how few Americans had general credit cards in 1970? 16%. And of course, that didn't include any young people.
0: It was for people in professional jobs.
2: But I got to say about the food thing, got to get this in there. I still have the journals I kept from that nineteen seventy-two experience. A bottle of wine in Germany was sixty-five cents. <laughs> A beer was thirty cents. Bread was thirty cents. When I was staying there, I would simply go out, buy bread, cheese, sausage, and beer. <laughs> and that was my that was my meal. And it was plenty good and plenty cheap.
0: I think about our Big road trip, our big road adventure around the U.S., and it was probably the worst dietary experience in my life. <laughs> and but then you get on the road, and you're traveling very casually, and it turns out you start eating whatever shows up. We'd really splurge at a Denny's or something like that if we were feeling <laughs> flush. Otherwise, you pop into a grocery store, you buy beer. Always got to buy beer cheese, you got to buy your cheese, yep, yep. and probably white bread, right? Just exactly what you're eating in Germany, except these are the American versions of that of that wonderful <laughs> diet. So did you do many road trips in the US? I did a few
2: going home from school because I grew up in Kansas, went to school in California. Yeah. So I would do a road trip from Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara, back to Topeka, Kansas. I remember the first time I went to Las Vegas. Which I don't gamble, but i went in and put my quarter in the slot and pulled the crank and the quarter started spilling <laughs> everywhere i must have won i don't know 30 bucks or something like that oh I my was god
0: 30 bucks going through las vegas it was always an amazing thing when you were young our perception of what it was was largely dictated by hunter s thompson right
2: <laughs> think about I'd it i forgotten about that yeah oh, oh yeah. yeah
0: so las vegas in in, in our generation was framed by Hunter S. Thompson. So if you look at the distinctive things between travel then and now, what do you think is the most significant?
2: Well, it's got to be the internet and everything yeah. it brings to you, the cell phone, iPhone,
0: the iPhone yeah. and the connectivity. And
2: the it just attaches you to the world including your world not the world you're in in Europe or wherever, or South America or wherever you are, but your world back home.
0: That's an interesting observation because what it says is when we traveled 50 years ago, we were dislocating our whole lives. That's right. We didn't exist back home when we left. We existed where we were, whether it was traveling around the U.S. on a road trip or backpacking through Europe. That's where we were. We had no... F- presence back home. Today, you have a presence back home. You get online, you talk to somebody, you send them a text message, you you do FaceTime, and it makes a huge difference.
2: When you say getaway, you got away when you went to Europe in the 70s. You were on your own.
0: So here's a question for you. Which way would you prefer to travel?
2: Right now, given my age, I'm sitting here thinking about some of the ways I did travel, and I'm going, "Uh uh-uh, not doing that again not trying for those kinds of hotels, not going to be caught without any way to find out where I am. And nobody knows where I am. That part is challenging, but I do miss some of the pureness of the experience in the seventies. You just had all the luggage you brought was what you were carrying. It wasn't the rest of your life. Like it it is with a cell phone where you can attack, you can call a friend. You can even do your work from, from a Greek Island now And before, it took all your time to to chart your way to that Greek island.
0: I find that concept interesting. Did I prefer the adventure, the sense of exploration, the sense of learning something new, to today's much easier travel? I miss the adventure. I miss the planning.
2: Pre all these devices and pre the ability to, to chart all the waters you had this surprise. You were surprised constantly. You could only plan it 60% instead of 99%. There was always something surprising. I never traveled in any kind of tour type thing, but I'm thinking maybe in the next year or three, (laughs) it might be the time of life to travel in a tour.
0: A lot of our friends do it. They enjoy it. I'm still somewhat of a travel loner. I like to explore quietly on my own, but then I'm a bit of a loner anyway.
2: Hey, by the way, another thing in travel that's really changed is the use of travel agents.
0: What's a travel agent? Right.
2: 30, 40, (laughs) 50 years ago, even probably 30 years ago, travel agents were the way you got from A to B and got lined up with hotels and got lined up with a car and got lined up with your airline and got lined up with places to eat.
0: Right. It used to be also travel agents were critical to work. When you had to travel when you worked, you'd call the designated travel agency and they'll take care of everything, get your tickets, get your rooms booked. What about now? I hate to admit it, but I haven't worked in so long in a large organization to have any idea whether they have a corporate travel group or you're on your own. Maybe one of our listeners who's still working or is close to somebody who's still working might tell us, do big companies still have travel groups that range travel for employees or employees expected to do it on their own. I haven't thought about the concept of using a travel agent for 20 years.
2: Going back to the uh, Europe experience anyway, one of the things that most surprised me was the incredible curiosity that the people I met, the Germans, the Dutch, the Danish, the Italians, their curiosity about what life was like in the USA. Right. They just pummeled you with questions about life in the USA.
0: It's interesting. I think there's less curiosity because, again, we can find videos, YouTube videos, about the destinations. We can find pictures of the hotels or the Airbnbs that we're going to be staying in. So there's fewer surprises. That same thing is available to people in Europe. They can see videos of all the national parks. They can see countless pictures of every destination they'd want to go to the element of curiosity is somewhat satisfied before they start you're right it certainly is for us when we go on a big trip this has been fun travel may have seemed more adventurous when we were younger but I still like a good road trip flying and eh, not so much what about you richard
2: I echo everything you just said flying since the pandemic has lost a lot of interest for me a road trip, I'm about to embark this next fall on a big road trip across the country, and I'm looking forward to that.
0: Thanks for listening. If you have any comments or experiences about how much your travel has changed over the last several decades, send an email to campcodger at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website. Join us next week when Randy rejoins the old Codger crew for another episode. Once again, our planning efforts have failed. And we haven't the slightest idea what we'll be discussing. However, we'll do best to make it as interesting and enjoyable as possible. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Camp Codger in your favorite podcast app or sign up on our website. As always, we would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at campcodger at gmail.com. Post a comment at www.campcodger.com or leave a voicemail at 505-216-6171.